Are you good? Mm-hmm. Are we recording? Everything is recording? Uh, yeah, we are recording. Phones are recording? Mm, all right. Okay, we're all set. Okay, so today's guest is not an immigrant or a refugee. However, he does have some different life experiences. Um, actually, Tony uh, got into a little bit of trouble in high school, got him kicked off his teams, ended up uh, spent a few years dealing with addiction, a uh, little bit of time being in jail, and... He was able to overcome all that. Thankfully, today he runs a, a very successful kombucha company, uh, one I tried recently, and that's how I got in touch with him. I love it. I'm sure we'll talk about that later. But uh, that that company is uh, Fermented Felon. With that, Tony, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah. So I, I think I, where I want to start is uh, growing up. You know, mm-hmm. first of all, t- tell them where you're from. But growing up, what were you like? What, you know, what was yeah. life like at home? Those sorts of things. Um, well, I grew up uh, in Omaha, Nebraska, um, you know, to a fairly large family. Um, my parents have been together for, um, what, like 55 years now. So, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> um, but they had six children, so uh, there's 20 years difference between me and my oldest sister. Wow. Are you the youngest? I am the youngest. Yeah. I, actually, my sister's 21 years older than me. <laughs> nice. Yeah. 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 Um, and so... You know, it was kind of a, kind of like a split family. Like I hear about that a lot now because um, it's kind of becoming more common. Meaning where, blended, different. Where it's well, no, like a split family would be like um, parents who have like a group of children. Oh, sure. At, at when they're young, yeah. and then they let them grow up, and then when they're in like their mid to late thirties, then they have like two or three more kids. Sure. Okay. Something like that. Yeah, so yeah, that's yeah. kind of what my parents did. Yeah, yeah. Did. Two, two sets of kids almost. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. And so, you know, being a big family like that, you know, like my oldest sisters kind of were more like aunts to me oh, a okay. little bit yeah, than, sure. than they were like sister sisters, you sure. know? Because uh, I mean, like whenever they were around, it was like, oh my gosh, they're here. Yay. You know, mm-hmm. that means we're going to go like do all these fun activities yep. and we're going to go have an amazing time, you know? You know, and it wasn't like ever like, oh, bickering and like, you know, like, oh, he stole my. Yeah. 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 I anyway. fully get it. Yeah. I mean, my, my oldest is 21 years older. My mm-hmm. other sister is 15 years older than me. And I don't remember really living with either of them. Mm-hmm. Um, my the third sister she's i think six years older than me so her and my brother i remember growing up with but Mm -hmm. um the two older ones yeah i I very much that makes a lot of sense to me it's you know almost like ants you're excited when you get to see them and you go do fun things and that makes perfect sense so yeah we're we're pretty things pretty smooth at home Um, uh nah well kind of uh i mean my parents didn't want us to they didn't make the best money so but they also didn't want us to go to like Poor schools, I guess. Okay. Um, they want us to have a good education. So we lived in Millard um, where, you know, my parents kind of struggled to, you know, keep up with, you know, food and um, letting us do activities and things like that. Uh, my mom actually worked overnights all while I was, like, really, really little because my parents couldn't afford daycare. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... 
you know, which would be, would have been crazy. Cause like, now that I think about it, like, I'm like, Oh, maybe that's why my mom always wanted me to take naps with her in the middle of the afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and so uh, and so like I never I kind of was a little oblivious to it. I thought everybody kind of grew up that way, you know, like every, like we all do. Yeah, like getting hand me downs all the time and things yeah. like that. Um, and so as I kind of grew up a little bit older, um, you know, I didn't really live exactly up to what my parents thought were their expectations. Um, and so instead of and me myself. Um, I thought that I was smarter than everybody. So I, I resonate with that as well. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was like, you know, I didn't feel as though like, what's the point in doing well in school? It's not getting me anywhere right now, hmm. you know? And so I'd rather do these other things that are going to help me better my life right now. Such as? Um, like, well, other than like running the streets, I, I took Taekwondo as okay. a young kid. Um, I got up to like purple belt. Um, I, Wanted to play more sports, but kind of like taekwondo was just fit in with like our schedules. I was really involved in like the church youth group. Mm. Um, we did a lot of trips, and there was always activities for me to go do where I didn't have to be at my house because it wasn't in a very positive environment. Um, and so, yeah. And so, what do you kinda, mean positive environment? Well, like I said, I didn't live up to my parents' expectations. Okay. Um, you know, I'm the only person in my family to not have a master's degree, at least a master's degree. Um, and so, you know, when you have a bunch of overachieving children and the youngest is an underachiever, then um, I kind of, you know, my parents didn't have the reward system that we think about today. Okay. Where, like, you know, get good grades and I'll give you stuff. Sure. Um, it was like, you better not get bad grades or else, mm. you know. Yeah, yeah. So you think uh, maybe the incentive structure that was set up for your siblings that worked, uh, maybe you're a different personality and that, that same incentive structure maybe doesn't fit your personality. Is oh, that right? It totally doesn't. I'm not, I'm like, I'm not a, a consequence. I'm, I'm not driven by the fear of consequences. Okay. And, and Which is probably why I have a criminal history too. <laughs> yeah. No, well, that, I mean, that's that's uh, very interesting because I, v I very much am. I don't want to disappoint people. I don't want to screw up. I don't, you know, never right. wanted to upset my parents. Right. And the fear of consequence very much would, you know, drive. Now, I do want a reward, but um, me, you know, with my limited thinking, with my maybe naive, whatever you call it, I'm, mm -hmm. you could probably call me kind of a conservative type, uh, you know, um, politically, was, oh, we harsher consequences and people will be less likely to commit crime. Right. But it doesn't sound like that's necessarily the case given the type of person person you're dealing with. Right. And and I think that you know, I'm not the only person that feels that way where it's like where it's like we're we don't care about consequences. You know, if there's no reward for doing what I'm not supposed to do to get the consequence. Yeah then why does it matter if I do it, you know, mm -hmm. you know, like then, yeah. then like, why, why would I not do it? You know, if it's, if there is something positive coming out of it, yeah, you know? Yeah. Yeah. If I get some sort of positive experience from doing that bad thing, right. Well, I'm going to do it anyway, because that's my reward. Right. Well, so you need a, a reward is, to keep you away from that, yeah. whatever that is. Which is like, I mean, like, you know, I mean, why do you, that's like, like burglars and things like that. They're like, 
the like the concept the risk the risk to reward mm-hmm. is greater when you know or in their mentality sure then you know not you know because do you, do you think they like, even weigh the the risk reward oh, or definitely. is it just all upside reward well they don't think that they're going to get caught so they think that it is all upside reward sure you know sure fair enough okay so you say you you grew up in millard mm-hmm. uh i'm not real familiar with omaha yeah. is that upper middle class That's, middle yeah. class is that what it's like uh, the part of Millard I lived in was middle class. Okay. Now you, you said your family kind of stretched to get you there. Do you think that was a benefit? Um, you know, a lot of people talk about association want their kids hanging out with the, the, the good group. Right. Um, you know, birds with a feather flock together, all, all those things. Do mm-hmm. you think it was a benefit that they stretched to get you there? Or was the fact that maybe the budget was stretched a little bit tight, you didn't get to do all the things you wanted to do, even though you were in that nicer environment, did that, was there actually, uh, maybe a, a negative consequence to that um yeah i think maybe you know i i sometimes do think about like that kind of stuff because i did i mean like i wore hand-me-downs until i was in middle school sure so you know the the popular kids or whatever you know like i was too poor i was cool enough to be liked by the popular kids but i like wasn't cool enough or didn't dress in like brand name stuff in couldn't fit in be. socioeconomically right. exactly so then i was like an outcast they were like they wanted they just wanted to be friends with me because of my personality yeah more so than actually be friends with me because i didn't come from a rich family yeah kind of thing okay so and i mean it sounds like maybe that weighed on you growing up uh, if I you're mean, talking about it now if you remember well, it it must add some sort of an effect well of course i mean um, I mean, I considered myself like a social butterfly. Like I've always like one of my Clifton strengths is includer. And that's because like, yeah. I've always like, even when I've been like in classes and groups, like, I mean, I have people who I remember from high school and I remember their names and you know, like if I see them in public, like they're usually like really surprised that I even remember them name or that I, I can even recognize them. But, um, but they, I have been told that like, they're like, you know, one thing that I always, you know, even though you were kind of like known as like this jackass, you always made me feel included yeah. or things or, you know, like something like that. Like if we were working on a project or something like that, sure. you know, like everybody has great ideas, mm-hmm. you know, why, you know, you have to listen to everybody's idea before you make a decision on what that idea, what, where you should move forward. Sure. You know? Yeah, that's a lot of good information. That really gives me a, a detailed idea of how your personality works and how you think. So let's fast forward to, uh, I think when we talked previously, you mentioned something about you got in trouble in high school, you got kicked off some teams. Yeah. Explain, tell me that story, maybe what led up to that and so what like, happened there. Um, so yeah, so um, <laughs> when I was in high school, I started uh, smoking pot, um, like, you know, Lots of teenagers do. Sure, yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, it, and it was the cool kids that were all smoking pot. And so, um, but I have ADD and um, I found that like pot made my mind not race. Okay. So. Was that diagnosed when you were younger? Um, my, I mean, I asked my parents once I got into adulthood because like I was told by a guidance counselor that I had ADD and um and that my parents weren't willing to do anything about it. Okay. Um, and then, um, 
but they used to, my dad used to give me echinacea pills sure. when I was like in middle school because yeah. echinacea is supposed to help with focus. I didn't realize that, but add it um, to the list. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right? So, and they also used to let me drink coffee at a really young age mm, mm-hmm. because the caffeine. So was they knew to, and they were trying to well, give you natural. Yeah, and they were trying to like, yeah, and like, um, and my, I think my guidance counselor, like, I vaguely remember this, but they told me that, like, my parents, that they didn't want a drugged up teenager. Yeah. Which I, I was like, oh, I was like, well, they obviously didn't know me very well because I was smoking pot the whole time <laughs> anyways. Uh, um, yeah. And so, so once I got into adulthood and I started going to college and stuff like that, then I started getting treatment for it. Okay. Which really, you know, changed my life around a little bit. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I can understand your parents' situation. They know, I mean... It seems to me, I'm no expert, I'm not a doctor, but things can be overprescribed now. Right. So quick to give a pill when maybe there's a better solution or, hey, maybe this is just a hyper kid and he shouldn't be sitting down all day. Maybe he should be standing and working. Well, Simple now solutions that, like that. I mean, now they have solutions like that. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> I mean, 20 years ago when I was in high school, it was, you know, they were. We didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was like, oh, he just sleeps every day in class. Yeah. You know. Do you think there would have been a... a a better solution, a better route that maybe your parents could have taken that, that would have an effect or they just, they did the best they could with what they had. Yeah. I, I think that they, I think that they did the best with what they had. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, um, I think they thought they, they were doing what was best for me. Of course. Um, which, you know, sometimes, you know, Parents make mistakes. Parents aren't perfect people either, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, they're, they're going to make mistakes and that's unfortunate, but yeah. So, okay. So you, you started smoking pot then what happened? Oh, well I started smoking pot and then, um, you know, I became known as like a school stoner and, um, and I was, um, where was I at? I wasn't on school grounds, but I was, it was like after a football game or something, we were like driving around smoking pot and, um, and I got pulled over, and the police officer was like, oh, you know, you can take diversion instead of doing time, and I was like, or instead of going to court, and I was like, oh, okay, cool. So then I went and did diversion, and then um, I successfully completed diversion. It was it was really, really easy. I mean, all I had to do was just show up, and, like, they didn't even care if I peed dirty. Like, I was, really? <laughs> yeah, they were like, well, cause I was on it for six months and I got, and she wanted to let me off after four. And she said that she couldn't let me off unless I had, I could peed clean because you could technically say that you are, had so much in your system that it wouldn't deplete out, sure, which is, sure. which is complete bullshit nowadays. Like, <laughs> you know, like they know it gets out of your system. If you have it in there longer than a month or like, yeah. and you're not like a, a morbidly obese person that never moves, you know, sure. then you, it should be out of your system. But yeah, anyways. And so I did, I peed clean after four months and it wasn't yeah. even my pee. It was my friend's pee. <laughs> <Of> course, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And so, so she let me off, but then I, I actually ended up getting another charge like a month later, just like, and it was, and it was like a dumb, I didn't signal my turn, mm. but in Omaha it's decriminalized. So marijuana is. Yeah. Okay. And it's, was been, it at the time? It was at the time. Really? It, yeah. Uh, Nebraska has. At what year was this? This was two. I mean, this would have been like 2003. You're kidding. 
Because, I mean, I've, so Nebraska, I believe you. I just feel like Nebraska you know, decriminalized it in the 90s. Um, okay. And they decriminalized it because of the UNL. And they didn't want to have misdemeanor. They didn't want kids that were going to UNL to have misdemeanors from graduating college. Okay. So then they turned it into a traffic site. This is all hearsay. Well, that is hearsay sure. about why they did it. Why they did 90s. it, sure. But that's my best guess. And then, yeah. um, and then actually they made it a misdemeanor from like 2006 to 2008 for just a very short period of time. And then they decided to get rid of that and change it back to a traffic citation. Okay. So... So at the, the the first time you get caught, you went into diversion. Mm-hmm. Were you participating in any, any athletics? I know you, you um, said you didn't get to do everything you wanted to do, but yeah. Well, so the first time I got caught, um, I I did I was doing athletics. Um, I was on the diving team, but my diving coach was like, "Oh, I actually don't think I even told him about it." So I don't think he ever found out. Okay, you know, because I mean, like, it didn't happen on school property. If yeah. I don't tell anybody at school, then nobody really knows. But yeah, the the police department isn't necessarily talking directly to the school, right? Unless your parents go tell them. Exactly. Yeah, but I did get kicked out of my church youth group. Okay. Which was a big part of my high school. Yeah. Career. Um, Ex- can you explain that to me? What, yeah. I mean, what was so the reasoning? What was? Yeah. So I was I I was Catholic. Um, and so you have to get confirmed when you're a freshman in high school. Okay. So at the church that I went to, um, we had like an overnight retreat for confirmation. Mm-hmm. So you went and you, you know, held hands and sang Kumbaya. And, um, and then after the retreat, though, they had like a core team of, of high schoolers where they organized all the events that the youth group would do. Um, and then you were in it for like the next four years. Like if you got chosen to be in it, then you went to this leadership institute and then you got to be in their core team. So I got invited to go do all of that. Um, so I went to the Christian Leadership Institute my summer going into my sophomore year. And then uh, and then we kind of coordinated events. So like we coordinated like lock-in, like bowling lock-ins, or uh, we'd go like float down the Niobrara, which is like a, a river in Nebraska that's really famous. Um, trying to think, go to Worlds of Fun. Sure. Like, um, but also like go help the Knights of Columbus. We had our own highway. Okay. So we'd go do a highway cleanup. Mm. Um, you know, like every few months, we'd go uh, to the Ronald McDonald House and we'd go cook food for everybody there. Um, there in Omaha, the Salvation Army has a Meals on Wheels during the holidays, which they go have. They have like food trucks. Um, full of volunteers and then the volunteers just hand out food to people. Um, so we went, we would go do that. Um, yeah, just like all kinds of stuff. I mean, pretty active and it sounds like you're doing a lot of good, um, things for the community. Right. So what was their reasoning? Did they think the punishment would deter you from doing something like that in the future? Was it, we don't want this influence getting around the other kids? What, what was the reason? I mean, it was kind of like a mixture of all of it. Um, yeah, I also smoked cigarettes too at the time. Um, and they, I don't know how they didn't know I smoked cigarettes, but, um, they, we were, I mean, I was 18 years old. We were at a retreat and one of the freshmen like smelled cigarettes on me and it was when I was leaving the bathroom. And so he thought I was in there smoking cigarettes. Hmm. Um, and so then he went and told one of the other counselors and then they sat me down and were like, Hey. You can't be, you know, and I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, Bob from St. 
Matt's has always smoked cigarettes. You know, Father Bill chain smokes whenever we're not doing anything that has to do with him. And you're 18. It's, it's not even like it was yeah. illegal at the time. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but, punk, punk freshman. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, well. Um, but, you know, like that kind of, I was so involved, you know, in doing all those activities and doing all that stuff that, you know, when they kicked me out and they were like, you can't come and do this anymore, um, you know, that kind of really, it had a huge effect on me. What um, kind of an effect? Um, you know, I, since I was like pretty hardcore into Christianity, it kind of just made me think that like, um, I didn't, I didn't really believe in God after that. Really? Yeah. Uh, it will, well now like looking at, in hindsight, like it was kind of like maybe, you know, he was testing me is what people would say. Um, it's not how you felt at the time though. No. Oh no, not at is all. Is that how you feel now? Uh, well, uh, no. Uh, actually now I, um, at the time I, instead of looking at it as something that was at the time, I felt like I was just having like everything taken away from me. Hmm. Um, like, like that happened. Um, and then, you know, I just, I just kind of quit doing all the other things that I was doing, you know? And, um, I really was like, well, you know, if, they cared that much about smoking cigarettes. I was like, just wait. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, and that's when uh, kind of my drinking took a little bit of a turn for the worst. Um, you know, I, I luckily never got caught for being drunk at school. But <laughs> there, was, there was plenty of times when I was. Um, there was actually this one time when I had a little bit too much to drink before I went to class. And I got to class. And I was sitting there, and you know, like, when you're trying to act sober, but you're way too intoxicated, so then you get tired because you're working so hard and not trying to look drunk. Uh, well, that's what happened. And I, so then I fell asleep, and um, my teacher must have walked past me or something and smelled alcohol on me. So she calls the security guard to come get me to take me down to the principal's office. and And so... The, the security guard comes to get me, and I instantly knew something was up. You know, I was right. like, security guards don't just come get me, especially because I knew all the security guards. So then, yeah. you know, I was walking down the hall and, you know, talking to Linda, and I was, I was like, all right, Linda, so, like, why am I going to the principal's office right now? And she was like, I don't know. They just, they just told me to come get you. And I was, like, I was like, okay. And she was like, all right. And then she's like, just come over here and sit down. And I was like, okay. So then I sat there. Um, and I sat there for probably like, uh, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. And I was like, all right, I'm in trouble for something. I was like, I bet you they think that I'm drunk right now. And so, um, luckily I didn't have any alcohol on me. Um, but I went, so I went into the principal's office and I was sitting there and it was like the mean principal and it was with the security guard and the security guard's daughters went to our high school so i was friends with her daughters so i had been over to her house and she knew she knew that i drank yeah sure you know yeah and stuff and so uh and so we were all hanging out in there and she was just like trying to just like grill me and get me to say something to like incriminate myself sure. and i wouldn't take to any of her bait um and she was like why do you smell like alcohol and luckily I had just gotten my tongue pierced. And so I had a bottle of mouthwash in my backpack. 
And so I was like, oh, it's the mouthwash. And she was like, she was like, no, you smell like alcohol. And I was like, well, you can breathalyze me, but I'm going to fail because I rinse my mouth out with mouthwash <laughs> 10 <laughs> times a day. And she was just like, and so then the, you know, the police officer that was standing in there just thought it was hilarious because she was like, oh, they, they, he, he's totally getting out of this right now. <laughs> There's nothing that, he, that she can do to him. Um, but I did have like a Zippo and a pack of cigarettes on me. And those are you're not. But even though I was 18, like you're not allowed sure. to have those. Was on this private school? campus? No, it was a public school. Public school Millard yeah. South. Um, but yeah. And so but she she was like, I'm going to call your dad. And I was like, you can call my dad. That's fine. He knows I smoke cigarettes. And so she calls him and puts him on speakerphone. He's like, he's like, she's like, did you know your son smokes cigarettes? Yeah. What of it? <laughs> nice, she was dad. Like, she was like, she was like, well, I just want you to know that he's not allowed to have cigarettes on school property. And he was like, well, he's 18 and he doesn't have a car. So where is he supposed to do with them? That's amazing. Uh, yeah. The, was the principal just fuming at this point? Oh, yeah. I mean, because yeah, you, you totally got out of I everything got out she of thought. It. And, and then now my... the dad's backing you up. This is <laughs> yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and so, and then she's like, she's like, okay, well, she's like, I'm going to have to take his cigarettes and and lighter. And he goes, he's like, oh, is that a, is it a Zippo? And she was like, yeah. And he was like, well, you better not take that. He was like, because that was a gift from his older brother. <laughs> <laughs> And you'll be, in, I'll get you in trouble if you Dad's try to Dad's got take your it. back. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty nice. Yeah. So she was like, I'm going to hold on to these and you come get them at the end of school, a school day. So I totally got out of that, like, Scott clean. And, um, but yeah, I, and like, you know, like for all the, the fortunate times that I didn't get in trouble, mm -hmm. you know, there was, you know, just as many times as I did get in trouble. Sure. Um, you know, but that. You know, all of that stuff that just kind of went on, like, my senior year of high school, it was just kind of, like, bubbled into, like, this thing where, like, I thought that I had a plan of what I was going to do when I graduated, and then everything was just caving in on itself. What was the plan? Um, well, the plan, I was going to leave and um, go become a nurse because I really enjoyed working with people. And at the time, uh, male nurses were almost non-existent. Sure. Or there wasn't as many males going into the nursing profession. And so um, my plan was to get that and then go be a surgical tech and then eventually go work at a plastic surgeon office because from my research, I found that nurses that work under a plastic surgeon make about a tenth of what the plastic surgeon makes. So, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which, so, is, I mean, which is like you work for... For a, an 18-year-old, that is actually a really well thought out, really detailed, specific plan. Yeah. I mean, I was 18. I was going to play baseball in the big leagues. That was my plan. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm actually, I, I thought you were going to say, well, I didn't really actually have one, but the fact that you had it all mapped out to who you wanted to work for as a nurse, that's pretty impressive. Thanks. So, okay. So you're 18, you're getting in trouble at school. When is it that, I mean, you really got into big trouble, whether it's you went into jail or some sort of probation yeah. or, you know, what was that you felt like, ah, oh, this is kind of next level? I mean, never really did I ever feel, it just kind of just started snowballing after that. It was like, um... I started selling weed because I was like, you know, I had a, I would, I had a full time job and I was kind of going to school, and then, but I had all these bills I had to pay. Plus, I had to like pay, you know, my fines and things like that. Um, and so, I was really um, just kind of being a bum, mm -hmm. really, you know. Um, 
I once I got that second weed charge when I was in uh, a freshman in college, um, it was like that. That's when I found out that I wouldn't be able to go into nursing. It was because I had even though I even though the other one I did diversion, it's still on my record. It's just shown on my record as doing diversion. So because even though like and this is and I don't think it's like this as much anymore. But back when I was trying to become a nurse, like if you had like alcohol charges or weed charges or anything like that, you you wouldn't get accepted into a nursing program because really? they were afraid that you were going to steal people's medications. Yeah, but the I mean the the schooling, all the program is going to weed out those people that just want to get free drugs. Correct. You, that's what right? you that's what you would like to think. But I how mean, old like, were you when you got the charges? Were they prior 18. to eighteen? You were you were eighteen, I was, I was 18. so they stayed yeah. on your record. So yeah. I I I have never been oh, charged. I never got charged as a juvenile for anything. Okay. So everything was after I was eighteen. So what was the first offense that you went to jail for? DUI. Your first DUI. Mm -hmm. Okay. And how long was that? Um, how long was I in? Yeah. Or how long ago? Yeah. Uh, no, how long was that? Yeah. How long were you in jail for? Oh, that like a night. Oh, just for the yeah. first one. Just yeah, yeah. Just I had to wait for my arraignment. Yeah. So. You know what's uh, what I've noticed through all of these. You're telling me about these events of you getting in trouble. Mm -hmm. The one that I can tell affected you the most. You're the most emotional. Tell me about it. Was getting kicked out of the church group. Oh yeah. It doesn't sound like being in trouble with the principal or um, you know going to jail, getting these charges. None of that is really a big deal to you. But getting right. kicked out of the church group was. Well, that was like it was, it was the most purpose that I had in my life. It was you know like because I didn't care about my grades. I didn't feel like my grades were going to get me anywhere, but I felt as though, um, you know, being a leader or, um, having like developing those qualities more so than you know, like arithmetic and sure, you know, things like that yeah. were more, were something that I enjoyed more, but also something that I felt as though I excelled at better. It's not okay. that I couldn't do the math or I couldn't do the schoolwork. It was that, it didn't challenge me mm -hmm. or it wasn't, I didn't see it as you didn't something. See why. Yeah. I didn't see, I didn't see it as something that would provide me value later on in my life. So why would I waste my time on doing this just because you're telling me to, sure. You know, like, and that's more, and that's probably the, my, why I've gotten in trouble with the law so much is because I don't like being told what to do. And I don't think yeah. anybody really likes to be told what to do. Yeah. But like, I want to make all of my own decisions for myself and I don't want other people to have to make, I don't want other people to make those decisions for me. Yeah. Um, so, well, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, since getting kicked out of the church group was the biggest one for you. Mm -hmm. Ever since we've talked, I've been trying to figure this out. Um, it seems to me that we can't just take away all consequence. I mean... I think people are seeing what's going on in L.A., what's happened in New York, where they just seems like all crime is okay, and it seems like things have gone to chaos. But also what you're telling me, and I believe you, is that certain people just don't respond to that type of incentive. Well, it's, it's not that you can't have a consequence. You, you need to you need to have something else there, though. You need, to be, you need to be rewarded for not committing crimes. Okay, so let's let's get into that. What could, how could the the church group uh, operated differently hmm. that would have maybe um, been effective for uh, effective? Because uh, I guess let me ask you this: Had they not kicked you out of 
of that church group, do you think you would have then gone on and have, have those uh, the issues with the law? Probably not. I probably still would have had those issues because my addiction issues weren't okay. going anywhere. Got it. I mean, I was already like full on addicted by my senior year to alcohol and pot. Okay. I mean, I, I mean, there wasn't like physical addictions, but there was like, you know, I would, you know, save all my coins and go turn them in at the coin star to get enough money to buy a bowl of weed. Yeah. yeah you know, okay. and things like that. So, so it didn't matter whether they, they kicked you out or not. That's just what hurt you the most. Yeah. That, that, okay. I would say, I would say that was the point at which I got a case where I first got the case of the fuck it. Explain that. <laughs> so, I mean, this has happened. I mean, that's why I have so many DUIs is because like the, the fuck it. So it's like, uh, like I don't give a shit about anything anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just going to do whatever I want. I don't care who I hurt and I'm just gonna, you know, and there's, and usually like, um, that's usually a lot of alcoholics have like some though that'll happen at some time in their using mm-hmm. is like, they'll get to that point where it's just like, and I got three DUIs within a year and a half when I had that case of the fuck. Three DUIs in a year and a half. Yeah. I had three DUIs by the time I was 20. I got, conv- well, I got convicted. Of, I got charged with the third before I was 20, but I got convicted <sighs> after I was 20. Wow. Or no, I, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would say that qualifies as a case of the fuckets. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, so I, it sounds like the root issue is not necessarily how you were treated, punishment, reward, although that yeah. is an issue. It sounds like the issue is actually an issue with addiction. I don't understand that either. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, uh, I'll go on binges where, you know, I, I consume food to whether I'm anxious, I, I've had times where I've, I've drank too much over a period of time, but I always have, uh, I've always had the ability to realize, Hey, this is getting too much. And I snap in discipline and I put that away and I don't mess with it. I don't, so I don't think I fully understand that. It, maybe I have addictive habit and things right. like that. You know, I'll get into working out or I'll get into some sort of training or I, th- I think constantly, mm-hmm. can you help me understand what that addiction is like? So, um, well, there's like lots of different types of addiction. Okay. Um, like you have like physical addiction where like, uh, where like your body actually hurts unless you are using that substance. And then you have like mental addictions where it's like you can't do certain situations or do certain things without using. Uh, it's a coping mechanism to cope with your social anxiety. And that's what it is for everything. Okay. It, it's a coping mechanism no matter for whatever kind of coping you need. You haven't figured out how to live in any given situation without this coping. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And so like or maybe like your coping mechanism that you were using before isn't as effective. I mean, alcohol is an amazing like coping mechanism. Yeah. You know, like you can, because it makes you forget. Mm-hmm. And the first thing you lose when you drink alcohol is your reasoning. Like the reasoning center in your brain. That's the first sure. part that goes away, which sure. is why people get DUIs and do all this other thing is because of that. Sure. Um, and so, you know, I, um, I just think like, you know, when you are, when you're, 
doing anything with drinking. It's just, you know, that's all a downhill, you know. Okay, so is it possible for anybody to fall on that? If it's just a mechanism to cope with something they haven't learned how to deal with on their own, is it possible for anybody to fall into that? Or uh, yeah. is that is there well, a specific type of biology, ooh. body chemistry, well, background that lends itself to that? Because I, I feel like, uh, yeah, I'm using this. I'll recognize I'm using this to deal with this, and then I'll just go. So I suffer from and, what is a recent thing to come out, um, which they discovered from like generational alcoholism. So I my family has a history of alcoholism. Sure, um, and. So, like, after so many generations, what they found ends up happening is their body actually evolves to digest alcohol more efficiently You're kidding. than a normal person. So okay. I can digest alcohol better than most people. When I was in high, and I should have said this in the beginning, when I was in high school, I could drink a water bottle full of vodka and still be coherent. Wow. Yes. Which is way more you, than any seven, 16, 17-year-old can... Yeah, and not you know, because you developed that tolerance, but because of evolution I, through a few generations. I, I Yes, I, was, I already had this. So like when I first started drinking alcohol, I only got the positive effects. I didn't even experience a hangover until I was like 25 years old. You're kidding. No, I'm not kidding. Because what happens in like generational alcoholism is, is, there, is our livers produce the enzyme that breaks down alcohol molecules. It makes an abundance of them once we hit puberty, I think is what they think. Because they know what's coming. Yeah. Uh, Wow. So, so like the, so I would never, so I would never get those effects. Like I'd go to parties and I'd like, you know, like I would go around to all the, you know, people that could only take like two shots and then they were done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'd just be like, "Yeah, let's go!" Hey. And then like I'd get them to take like four shots with me, and then they'd be puking, and I'd just be laughing because like I'm You'd not even that the next drunk. Person. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, That's fascinating. I had no idea. Yeah. Um, so you know when when you have that mixed with an addictive personality and somebody who's bored with life, mm. you know, also needs something to cope with to fill that void because. I mean, all that time that I was spending at church, now I now all that's free time. Yeah. So, so is an addictive personality just somebody without a purpose? Is that all that is, or is it? It could be. It, uh, you know, yeah. who who really knows? Um, I mean, like, because AA works for some people, some people it doesn't work. Sure. You know. Yeah. Um, and those are all addictive people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, um, I think that having a purpose though it gives the drive needed in order to stay sober. Like, um, like I haven't been sober for the whole time I've owned this company. Mm. I've only been sober for the last year. Okay. Or a little over, or over a year now. But, um, but I, you know, I still was dealing with my addiction issues and all that other stuff. And, you know, it, um, I, definitely slowed down on my drinking a lot once I started this company. Sure. But I still would like go out with my friends and do, you know, have fun activities and do things like that. And drinking sometimes would be involved, but it, you know, it wasn't until I really put my whole self into this company where like, um, 
actually it was around like the time when I found out that high V some of the local high V's were interested in carrying me was then I was like, all right. You felt like you had more responsibility. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, I felt like you were saying how you don't want to let people down. Yeah. I felt as though I didn't want to let myself down. And that was the first time in my life that I had ever experienced that. That's emotional for you. Do you think there's there would have been a chance to give that to you at a younger age? I mean, if you know, if you're sure, I mean, if like you're I'd around already... the, the five year old version of yourself, is there a, a way that you can give that to a, a young kid, or was that just you know when your life purpose showed up? I mm, a little bit. Like, I don't think that I could have done anything to myself at five years old to. Make. Can a mentor, can a, can a, a, a parent, can a, yeah, or is I mean, it just luck? Well, you know, like looking back on my academic life, like I, I was perfectly capable of getting straight A's and sure. I did get A's in a lot of my classes yeah. and they were the classes about the teachers that I cared about. I cared if I got an A in their class because they cared about me. You wanted their is it because you wanted their validation. You wanted to not you wanted that their I wanted their or... I, not that I wanted their validation or that um, it was more so like I felt as though they cared so much about teaching their students and about wanting their students to succeed that it broke their hearts when their when their students didn't at least pass their class. Got it. You know. Got it. So and you didn't want to let them down. Right. Got it. Okay. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. Um, so l- let's transition. Let's get into, I mean, we kind of stopped short of you really spending any jail time. Is there any yeah. stories that you want to relate? I mean, that's part of your mission now. Yeah. So let's talk about maybe what you went through, what you've seen. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, I, you know, once, like, when I was, like, 19 and I, you know, got those three DUIs in with, I mean, I had... My dad would make a joke that, you know, if he didn't have to come pick me up from jail at least every other month, then I might be dead. Which is kind of sad that my dad would joke did, about did something you, like that. Did you guys laugh when he said that, or was that upsetting? Uh, I kind of just was like, whatever, you know. Sure. At that point, like, I was already like, you know, my dad had already, like, caused me enough trauma during my childhood yeah. that I didn't. I was like... Yeah, and I'm not I'm not here to, to judge your dad. I don't know, but right. um, I think sometimes some dark humor, right, is fun well, and, right. and brings levity. Um, I you know I don't know if it was meant to be malicious. I don't from hearing about him. I don't think nah. it was. I don't think he. It's like a. Mm, yeah, like one of those like uh, ha ha ha, but really I'm serious. Sure. You know, like yeah. yeah. That kind of deals. Yeah, some backhanded humor. Like, right. Hey, man, figure it out. Right. Exactly. Well, yeah. Well, to me, like, hey, man, figure it out. Um, yeah, maybe. Or maybe, I don't know what he was thinking. Sure. Tell you the truth. Yeah. You know, like, okay. I think that they tried to control me. Like, they tr- they didn't, they didn't f- structure my life they try to control me and so and i didn't like to be controlled yeah didn't fit with your personality does right and so like he just kind of you know like by the time i was an adult they were like well you're an adult now like any consequences you have they're yours 
to live with for the rest of your life. So whatever, you know, like we're still going to be your parents. Yeah. But I'm, I'm assuming that uh, not liking to be controlled probably didn't bode well with being in a jail cell. Uh, well, no, not really. Um, but having to not have to be on anybody's time and I could just sit in there and do whatever I wanted to do. Oh, okay. Was something where it's like, it was kind of like the, my coming of age <laughs> in a sense. What do you mean? Um, well, you know, like in like coming of age novels and movies and stuff like that, like they, they go through like something. Usually they go through like something fun or adventurous or, you know, that causes them to do that. But mine was just like sitting in a jail cell mm. with my own thoughts made me um, kind of come to peace with being by myself and being with my thoughts. Got it. It's uh, it's the trial that you had to, to go through and overcome. Right. Pretty much. Um, yeah. I, you know, I mean, the I remember... There was this one time where um, where I had been sitting in jail um, and I had been in there for, I don't know, 21 days or something like that. And it was for something that I ended up getting three days when I ended up actually going to court. Because like, so because I had so many criminal charges on my record, I mean, even though I like I didn't have any failure to appears, mm-hmm. um, still like they just will hold you until your court date. Sure. If you can't make bond. Okay. So like you have your arraignment where they set your bond. And then if you can't make your bond, then you just sit until your court. Um, and so then I just ended up sitting and then I ended up sitting for like three weeks. Does that count as your three days or yeah. do you have to? Oh yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah. So like, yeah. So as soon as I went into court and uh, it was like time served, you know? And so, and then when I was, I was leaving, um, like, you know, I had been in there for three weeks, so I got to know, like, the guys that I was bunking with. And, you know, like, they were like, they're like, I hope you never come back, Tony. <laughs> it sounds like you've gone here one too many times because you feel you, you're acting a little too comfortable and you have... The guys you, you're bunking with are saying this? Yeah. They're like, they're like, you're a little too comfortable and you have the gifts in order to do something more. Did they not have the gifts? I don't know. Maybe they didn't have the drive. Maybe mm. they, maybe they thought that they were too late. Got it. Because they weren't young. Like I was, you know, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one years old, bunking with these guys, and you were the youngest. Oh, most of the time, yeah. Sure. You know, um, and a lot of them, uh, like, um, a lot of people don't know this, but um, our jails fill up when it gets cold in the Midwest because homeless people will go commit crimes that they know will only give them four months so that they can go have three hots and a cot for four months before going back out on the streets. And they get medical attention too while they're in there. And they know the punishments well enough to know what type of crime will give them the exact amount of time they need to be warm. Right, because they'll go do like victimless crimes. Such as? is it If it's victimless, is it a crime? But anyway, go ahead. (laughs) Victimist. What's a victim? Uh, just something that doesn't like affect somebody directly. Like they'll go like kick down a street sign. Destruction of property. Like, yeah. Of, Got it. Okay. of city property, Got which it. is even worse than just destruction of somebody personal property because that's a civic offense. Okay. 
So then they get they get four months so they can be warm, they can get meals, and they're. I wouldn't. I don't think I would ever think of that if, if I was in their situation. I don't. I don't know that I think that way. Maybe I would. You know, I've never been in the situation. Well, I, mean, so I don't know like, how I would think. Well, they don't. Ha- I mean, they don't. They don't foresee themselves not being homeless or a transient, is a better term for that. So it's their way of life. Right. Yeah. Because when you're when you're transient, you're like literally like you have no inclination of living like a normie, or living like the rest of society. Is it they don't think they can or they don't want to? They don't want to. They like if, the life they're living. If they're usually, yeah, most transients are. So is there anything we can do to help them? Do, do they, it doesn't sound like they want help. Uh, exactly. That... They don't want help. So, I mean, just having like homeless shelters that provide free food mm-hmm. is, I, I, I mean, like. They, they would choose the homeless shelter over the jail cell, maybe. Hmm. Depends. Jail cell Which is... one's got a better cop? <laughs> well, it, you get kicked out of the homeless shelter in the morning. You don't get kicked out of jail in the morning. You Got can it. sleep as long as you want. Got it. So it's actually an incentive for them to go to jail over a homeless shelter. Sometimes. And there's like, and and there's like, you know, like there's, there is, I mean, there there is a lot of homeless people out there that don't want to be homeless though. And a lot of people to serve prison time for more than I want to say the statistic is more like seven years but I want to say it's ten years they're more they the likelihood of them being homeless when they leave is like significant like above 50% chance that they're going to be homeless if they Why? had because the people in their life have moved on um, their neighborhoods have gotten gentrified um the place that they worked at before they left were, is closed now. Um, you know, there's all kinds of reasons why. Most of the time it's because their loved ones have moved on. Um, and usually they don't have, like, they didn't come from a solid, like, home base. Like, they didn't. So, like, it's not like they can lean on their mom and dad. But, you know, like, they had, you know, a girlfriend that they had kids with or something like that where they had, like, a house that they were paying for before they went into prison well you know like they've been in prison for the last 10 years so she had to figure out what she was going to do or he or whatever you know who you know whatever sure. the situation whatever is the situation, yeah. and so um and so yeah so then they end up not knowing what to do um when you leave um prison in at least in nebraska you get a check for like 150 dollars, and um and then they close on your back and that's all you get. You just walk out on the sidewalk and you're left to your own devices? Yep. I think they give you a cabin to town. Okay. And it's in Lincoln, and it's almost in the middle of Lincoln anyway, so it's not like you have to go very far. Sure. But, yeah, so you're you're kind of just, like, thrown. And so that causes a lot of recidivism because they when they leave prison, they didn't have a game plan. Mm-hmm. So... They didn't have a job. They don't have a house. They don't have anything. So why wouldn't they just go commit another crime to go back to prison or go back to jail? Yeah. Is there any training for them while they're in prison? Is there any classes? Is there anything to help them develop that game plan beforehand? I'm glad you asked that. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, uh, so my company um, partners with and supports RISE, which is a 5013C nonprofit in uh, Nebraska. Okay. It's headquartered in Omaha. Okay. They have offices in 
uh, quite a few of the penitentiaries in the Nebraska prison system. Okay. Um, is it just a Nebraska country, company or uh, is it countrywide? So they are, um, they came from another nonprofit called Defy. And Defy was like the first of the helping people with reentry. Okay. Um, and so Defy started in like New York. Um, and then she moved, I, I forget, she wrote a, I, she wrote at least one book, but anyways, the lady who started Defy, some things happened. And so, um, the people who started Rise in Nebraska actually were working for Defy. And then when all that stuff happened with Defy, they left Defy and started their own thing. Okay. Um, so they've been kind of trying to figure it out, but they have a very great program right now. So explain that to me. So it's a. It's a nine-month in-prison program um, where they um, they only accept people that are in their last year of sentencing. So they go through this RISE program, or last one or two years. But they go through the RISE program, and there they learn soft skills. Um, so how to be professional, how to um, talk a little bit more eloquently and you know present yourself in a professional manner. Um, they also teach you how to build a resume, um, fill out job applications, fill out has housing applications, um, how to answer questions about their criminal charges, uh, which I think is really beneficial because, um, you know, they served their time. So they shouldn't, you know, be punished further, you know, for their crime because, you know, like we as a society, we make those laws. And we set what those sentences are going to be, you know. So we need to be okay with trusting our justice system and not trying to further impede these. Punish them after the fact. Right, exactly. Because, I mean, like, basically what you're doing is you're punishing them for the rest of their life. Mm. So, like, why? And that's, you know, with New York and L.A. and stuff like that, you know, they're, it's, you know, they're not given a reason not to go commit crimes, you know, if they're always held back, why wouldn't you go commit crimes again? You know, like mm -hmm. what's, you know, if it's almost like there's a, um, a, a social safety net for them to be in jail, but not out of jail a little so, bit. So the, the floor of living is actually better in jail than out of jail is what I'm hearing in this conversation. Well, I mean, it's also like that, you know, like we've also developed a system to keep poor people poor. Um, like a lot of people that live in that are, are that are eligible for government assistance take full advantage of it all of the programs and if you combine all of that together you make about what somebody who makes who's doing the same thing that you're doing and they're making about like 60 to 70 thousand dollars a year get out of here you're getting you're getting the is like I mean, Section 8 housings aren't that nice, but a lot of them are big enough. You know, they're like, you know, they're 850 square foot townhomes and mm -hmm. things like that. Um, where like, you know, and they're getting that, which that normally for a person would cost, you know, $1,000 to 1100 mm -hmm. They're paying like three, $400, something like wow. that. You know? And so they're saving that money. And, but see, but it also incentivizes them to not, work yeah because they, then once you're making 20 grand well you don't get that anymore and your lifestyle actually goes backwards right exactly so unless you're going to go make 150 grand which you're not jumping from zero to 150 it doesn't 
it's better for them to stay there. And this is actually um, a couple of years ago when the elections debates were going on. Andrew Yang had the the UBI concept, and you know, at first I, I wasn't really a, a big fan. Still, I'm not. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm a capitalist. You know, I think socialism is a bad idea. But the best argument he made was, well, if people are getting a thousand dollars a month, regardless, there's not an incentive not to go make more. Correct. They still get that. They don't lose that thousand that thousand dollars, whatever it is. Um, whereas if they are going to lose that thousand dollars, that's an incentive not to go make more. And I'm like, well, that's actually a really good point. That makes a lot of sense. Right. Yeah. And I mean, it's the same, you know. And it's like food stamps, Section Eight, mm-hmm. welfare, all that stuff. Like, you know, people hear about, you know, it's true. Like, you know, people who are able to work the system correctly, are able to afford Escalades and fancy watches and new Jordans and things like that because they are, because they can spend all of the money that they are making on those luxury items every year. Got it. Instead of, then they don't, you know, because they don't have to spend it on a mortgage and, you know, clothes on their back. Yeah. Or, and I mean, I, I'm for some sort of social safety net. I don't right. think people should be dropped flat. I mean, especially when you think about cases of, you know, single mothers and people fall on hard times. I'm I'm for some sort of help. Right. Well, but I would like to find a way to where they're not incentivized to stay there. Correct. Yeah. It, yeah, you're you're right because what's ended, what's happening especially a lot in like California and all these places where like tent cities are happening sure. where it's like people can't afford their houses anymore. And it, there, if we did something like that, then the people who, because the people who are on welfare are going to continue to be on welfare. There's no like time limit as to how long you have. Mm-hmm. You know, like unemployment, for instance. Like when they set up unemployment, unemployment's great because they're like, okay, we're going to give you this set amount of money every week as long as you are looking for a job. But you're only getting this amount of money. So if you don't find a job within the amount of time that this money runs out that we're paying you every week, then you're SOL mm-hmm. and we're, you're not getting any more money. Yeah. The deadline's coming. Exactly. Yeah. And so, like, I, I think that having more of those kinds of – and not only that, but, I mean, like, why aren't we, you know, why aren't the people who are having to do that, why aren't we looking into reasons as to why they aren't looking for it? And if it's solely because they just don't want to have to lose those benefits, then what can we do to get them to work and provide something yeah. in order to get those services? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it makes perfect sense. And anybody who's studied any sort of psychology motivation knows that the fear of loss is much more powerful than the uh, incentive for gain. Right. So I, c- I could see how, you know, somebody, a single mom getting these benefits, oh, if I go make that. In fact, I mean, I saw some of this with, um, you know, I haven't gotten into it on video, but with my mom, she didn't want to go make money because it's like, I can't make money because then I'll lose it. So that fear of losing that. And in my mind, it's like, well, just go make twice as much, you know, just go make more. But for somebody in a situation where they're like, well, but then what if I get sick and I can't work anymore and I already lost those benefit? That fear of loss is a powerful thing. It's true. Um, yeah. Uh, but I think, I think that's just because the society that we live in. Mm. You know, um, I don't 
I feel like we don't instill enough that there's the capability of gain. Sure. Okay. You know. Fair enough. And that's and that's kind of where wage wages are falling in. You know, like, I mean, Walmart's been paying like fifteen dollars an hour, like well before McDonald's decided to start paying fifteen dollars an hour. Mm. And they've always had trouble trying to find employees. You sure. know, and like you know, I mean, like now it's almost like that's what the minimum wage is now. You know, it's like people won't accept a job unless you pay them at least $15 an hour. Right. I mean, I'm running into that with my kombucha business. <laughs> you know, like, I'm like, all I want you to do is slap labels on these bottles. Like, yeah. it's not rocket science. Right. And I don't think that that's really worth $15 an hour to have you do, you know? Yeah. But if you your know, job isn't producing that amount of money, why should somebody pay you that amount of money? Correct. Yeah. And if... And if you don't think that, or if you feel as though like your talents can be used elsewhere, then find jobs elsewhere. You yeah. know, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. like that's I, the beauty I, of the free market. I, yeah, right, and it's not slave like, labor. You can leave and find something else. Where you're talking about capitalism, like yeah. that's, I, and I don't think that they are seeing it as capitalism. They're seeing it as big business wanting to keep me down. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. instead of being like. You know, why don't I provide more value to the company that I'm working for so then I myself am worth more? Yeah. So then, like, this company doesn't want to get rid of me because Mm -hmm. I'm providing this value. So now they are, you know, or be like, you know, I'm, I did this when I was a bakery manager. Um, They didn't want to pay me more money because they were like, you know, this is what we pay all of our bakery managers starting out. And I was like, okay, well, why don't we in six months look and see what our, sales are comparatively to the previous year and we'll compare and then we'll renegotiate my my salary perfect and so then they agreed i i didn't get that big of a pay bump but i was able but i i I took my bakery which was you know i think that out of eight bakeries i was like sixth or seventh took it up to being the second to busiest. Yeah. So, and here's the beautiful thing about that is you didn't just move more bakery. You didn't just make more money from that. You develop skills that you learn how to improve a, a business, improve a company, increase the sales. So you have another skill set that if they don't want to pay you that money, you go apply somewhere else and negotiate, create, or like you did, go out and create your own business and you can use all those same skills. So even though maybe it doesn't show up in your paycheck right away, you have a skill set that will pay you in the future. Right. So anyway, let's turn this back to okay. people. So people leaving prison sounds like right now and what your uh, rise you said is. Mm-hmm. And is that a website people can check yeah, out? So they can look up information on? Yeah, it's www.csrise.org. Okay. Um, and on their website, you can find volunteer information, their mission, okay. um, what they have been doing. Is that something people and can what, donate to and be yes, part of? Yes, of course. Uh, they have uh, two different donation options. You can make one-time donations or you can be an anchor donor Okay, is what they call them. And that's uh, just a monthly donation. Sure. Uh, Fermented Felon is a anchor donor for Rise as well. So. Oh, great. So we'll, we'll put that website in the show notes. We have show notes now, right? Yeah, we're big time. <laughs> so we'll we'll put that in the show notes if anybody wants to be able to click on a link. So yeah. So rise. So with their so with their nine month program. So you learn all these soft skills while you're in prison. So and you so not only that, but they also help you develop a plan so that the day you get released, what are you gonna do? 
So they almost act as um, like a, a guide for you. Yeah. You know? Um, so like you already have like, you know, like you're going to go apply at these apartments. You're going to go apply at these businesses. Like yeah. you already have a game plan of what businesses you're going to apply at, where you're going to live mm -hmm. and you know, where, how you're going to, you know, get yourself together. The help bridge, bridging that gap from stepping out of jail to, to living what do a I do now? Life. Yeah. yeah. You know, because like, so they also give um, them like care bags too. So like all the toiletries that you would need, you know, a, a change of clothes that isn't the clothes that they were wearing when they came in. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, gosh, I want to say, I want to say they give them like, um, like a prepaid cell phone mm -hmm. as well. So like, just like a little track phone. Yeah. Uh, with minutes and stuff already on it, so okay. then they can make calls to businesses to, sure. you know, a, follow up a, and mean, get a, a job. I mean, a cell phone and, in today's world is well, almost, you have, you to, have, have, it to, you have to have it to, it's, to operate. I mean, and the government has now seen that you have to have it, and that's why you can get government assistance mm. with your cell phone bills. Sure. So um, are do you have any data to back up? Are they seeing, I mean, your big thing with yeah. recidivism? So, yeah, there, so they have data, a 95... The, yeah, so their statistics that they just released uh, since starting in uh, 2019, they've had a 95% reduction in recidivism since their whole. Their 95% reduction. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, and a... they've had, I want to say, 150 graduates. Okay. So 5% of 150. Mm-hmm is what seven and a half percent yeah yeah so uh yeah so i mean seven or seven and a half people sure yeah i i, I trust your anyways mouth. yeah i maybe it's like a little <laughs> maybe it's a little bit over 150 or something like that yeah, is yeah, where yeah. they came up with but um but yeah that's so, pretty amazing i and yeah. i i thought about this a lot um leading up to this conversation i Here. i started go ahead let me throw another yeah please at you okay so the so people that are just leaving prison, they have a ninety five percent chance of recidivism. Without, or I'm sorry, seventy five percent. Seventy five percent chance of recidivism if they don't have any training of this sort. If they don't, yeah. If there's nothing where they have an incentive and a yeah. game plan and like yeah. a reason when they're leaving, they have a seventy five percent chance of committing a crime that lands them back in prison. Yeah, and that's a perfect stat because. Uh, as I was about to say, I was leading up to this conversation. I started thinking about what, how do I want the crime system? What results do I want? I, I think there is a need for jails, and I think people do commit crimes. They do need punishment, or they need to be separated. From, I think that does happen. Mm -hmm. Although maybe there's some stuff that needs to be decriminalized, but I think that does happen. But coming out, what do I want that time to look like? Well. Um, Hopefully, that punishment alone is some sort of a deterrent from keeping people to do those, although that's not always going to work. Mm -hmm. um, hopefully, during that time, they do something to repay society in some way. Not just that they need to be punished, but any crime, they're taking something from society. So hopefully, in that time, they're giving something back. But coming out of that, I mean, just as a, if you think about it as a business decision, as a taxpayer funding this stuff... Mm -hmm. I would want them to come out not likely to go back in because then I'm just pouring more tax dollars into keeping them incarcerated. So I would want part of my money to go to see that they don't come back again. 
that would, if you think about it as a business decision, that seems like a simple concept to right. me. You're investing back into your employees. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, your employees, and you're not going to be there paying his jail cell bill again. Right. Right. Like, you know, why do I want to pay for this again in the future? Let's get it taken care of now so it's not a problem right. later. And then, yes, they're adding some value into society in some other form. Mm-hmm. I launched off on a rant there, but no, that's great. That I, makes I, sense to me. I, no, that makes complete sense, and that's exactly the way that the people think that the prison system is kind of set up. But you're saying it's not. It's not yeah. because they're because and that stat proves it. Seventy five percent chance they're coming back. Right, and that's, so that's a failure to me. Yeah, well, it, and it, and it has also to do with um, what people having the mentality that are big in the prison system thinking of humans that go to prison as not they're not human anymore so explain that um so uh, like they think of them as not as animals mm-hmm. but even like less than animals like they're trash they're garbage you know like we can treat them however they however we feel like treating them because they committed a crime so now all of a sudden they're not human anymore. Yeah, they're bad and guys. They're, they're bad, bad guys. They're, they're bad people. You know, and so like, and so when you go into, even if like you say you went in for growing pot at your house, you know, which you know, most of the people that I know that smoke pot are super happy people, you know, and and would never commit, you know, a violent crime against somebody, mm-hmm. and and then they go to prison for that. And they come out, and all of a sudden they're stealing cars, or they're breaking into houses. They're a worse criminal. Or exactly, they go, they they graduate. Did you college, see this happen? I mean, college did you see school. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've kind of. I mean, I've I wouldn't I quit associating with like people that sure. I knew that went yeah, to yeah, prison yeah. Um, back when I was younger. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you, I mean. You see it. I mean, you see it from like people that you meet when you're in jail and things yeah. like that too. Um, but yeah, it's it's almost like you know you go to. I think you said it when we were talking on the phone. Criminal college. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Go, I mean, you go to prison and it's it's a school to be a better criminal. Yeah, and so and but not only so a better criminal. I think but... I got that one from the movie Blow. I don't know if you saw that. <laughs> Did oh, you see yeah. that movie? Oh yeah, it's a good movie. Uh, what's that actor? Um, uh, Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp. Yeah, and Penelope Cruz. Yeah, Pen- yeah. I mean. But he says it in there. I, you know, I went in oh, you know, yeah. with a bachelor's of oh, you know, yeah. smuggling weed, and I came out with a master's of how to smuggle cocaine. And yeah. It's like, well, I mean, kind of makes sense. I mean, just like we talked about association is a powerful thing. Yeah. Think about who you're associating with. Yeah. You know, like if you're not put in that. And, that's, and, and Rise attributes a lot of their success to um, them – being able to take the people who do want to be in their program and putting them all together. So you're not around okay. anybody that doesn't have the same goals as you. Okay. Everybody you're associating with has ambition, has, uh, yeah. uh, uh they don't want to go back to prison. They're trying to get out and stay yeah. out. Yeah. Okay. So you're, you're around a better association at that point. Okay. Well, right. from what I what you've told me, it sounds like Rise is a great company. Yeah, I think people should look it up. I'm gonna look it up oh, after yeah. this, and and um, sounds like they're doing good things and yeah. things that I don't want to see people going back into prison. I think oh, yeah. having more stable citizens is good for everybody. Oh yeah, not just good for the criminal; it's good right. for society. Right, 
And Rise also has a business academy that they offer for once you do get settled. So mm. that's why I was saying it's a three-stage. Okay. So you have your in-prison, you have re-entry, which is like a two-month process, and then you have the business academy, which is when you're in prison, they also tell you to dream big and come up with a business idea that you can be profitable within six months. Because they say that uh, uh, as a small business owner, if you can figure out a business that makes you profitable within six months, then you're more likely to continue that business for a long period of time. And then you have a, a purpose and responsibility. And Correct. You... Yeah, that's exactly right. You have a purpose. You have a responsibility. You have a reason not to go back to prison. Mm. So, um, so yeah. So I'm. I was actually a graduate of their second cohort of their business academy. Even though my my uh, sentence was a long time ago, they um, they opened it up to anybody that's been affected by the justice system. Okay. Not just um, because they even. Um, somebody who was in the last cohort that um, I met, she, her husband had actually gone to prison for okay. 15 years. Sure. And so she was like, you know, I want to have a business so that when my husband gets out, we both have something to work on. Perfect. You know, which yeah. I was like, I was like, that's beautiful. Yeah, you it know? is. It is. Um, is that where you came up with the idea of the kombucha fermented felon? No, actually, um, I discovered fermented or like I came up with fermented felon um, after listening to a different podcast. Um, there was, um, it was like a business mentor. Actually, I want to say was it was Dave's killer bread. Okay. Was who they were Dave from Dave's killer. Bread I've seen that at Costco. From, I bought that bread before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it was his story. Okay. But um, he, Gave so he was giving some sage advice. He was like, I don't really have much sage advice, but he was like, one thing that I thought was wonderful was that make your greatest weakness your biggest strength. Meaning, so, um, so I felt as though the reason why I wasn't getting ahead in life was because I have a felony in my record, and then I couldn't get jobs at other places because they just don't hire felons Okay. for any of the career paths that I wanted to do. Like, yeah. like I even tried to get into finance, um, you know, not that long ago, like five years ago, I was trying to get sponsored by TD Ameritrade to do my Series A and things like that, and they wouldn't hire me because they, they said, we don't hire people with felonies on the records. Um, and then I also found out that and I'm like, how did they even know I had a felony on my record? It's been over 10 years. Mm. And then I found out that Nebraska doesn't have any statutes of limitations on their background checks. So they can check yeah, my background they... for, as, for as far back as they want. Because if I was in a different state applying for the same job, they wouldn't be able to see. My record would look squeaky clean because sure. I haven't been convicted of anything in over 10 years. Sure. Um, so, yeah. So it's it was kind of, you know, once that kind of you know that happened and then i tried to get a job at a call center and um making like way less than i was making as a bartender and i was just like and they told me that they couldn't hire me because of my felony and they were like promising me like management positions and like all this stuff even at a call center i mean i don't see i i yeah i, I but, can look at it but usually like side. call centers you're dealing with people sensitive yep. got it that's yep, what it yep, is yep that's okay. exactly right um Stuff that I could identity and things that I could potentially steal and sure, sell. So sure. they don't want anybody who could possibly do that kind of thing. 
which it's like another thing where it's like, you know, like you can't just, you can't get ahead, you know? And yeah. so, um, so why kombucha? So, uh, so during that time after like, I was trying to find a job, me and my brother were talking and he was like, dude, he's like, you have all these great ideas and you make amazing products and drinks and stuff for like restaurants. He's like, you should just come up with some kind of business, you know, like, why are you helping other people build dreams? And so, and me and my brother get lunch every uh, week. Um, and so that was one of the topics of conversation that we started talking about like four years ago. And then we kept on talking I kept on working at these other restaurants and bars and being like, man, these guys are so with their heads up there. And, you know, like if they would just listen to me, like I could increase their sales every month by like 10 K and like all this stuff. And he's like, you know, like just start your own business. Like, like you should do it. Like, I think that you could really do it. And so I was like, yeah, but I don't know what I would sell. And so then I kept on thinking about it, do to do to do. And, um, and then I was like thinking about what gave me joy and what service and value could I provide to somebody else? Um, and I felt as though, um, I'm very good at like talking to people and, um, meeting people and networking and being an includer and things like that, that, I found as though that was something that a lot of people who have a criminal history were not good at. Mm, okay. And so I was like, oh, you know what? Why don't I use this skill? Why don't I use this to help people who are in the same situation as me and have the drive to succeed, but they need somebody there to help them through the twists and turns of starting a business? Um, and so I was like, okay. I was like... But that's not solving the pro another problem that these people also have, which is capital. A lot of these people don't come from families where they can give them startup money. Sure. Or they don't have the savings in their account in order to, you know, fund a, bit, a startup business. Um, and they certainly don't know how to go get a loan from a bank in order to start a business. So I wanted to have a product in order which I could sell in order to use the funds from the sale of that product to help them. Cause I mean, it wouldn't take, you know, like it's, it, you don't have to give them a ton of money, mm -hmm. but you know, 10 K 20 K goes a long way when you're first starting, mm -hmm. you know, that yeah, can get oh, your yeah. like initial, you know, supplies, like say like, you know, you want to blend your own teas or something like that. Like that could get you like your whole first batch you know, and then you could turn around and go sell that for, you know, sell those for $120,000 or something, sure. you know, or whatever. Um, but yeah, and so, and then kind of help them get everything going um, and then use my business infrastructure in order to help them build their business infrastructure um, as a subsidy of my company. Sure. So you're taking, I mean... If Rise is there to uh, help them with a plan, help them get stable, help them find a job, mm -hmm. which they have a business incubator too, but you're taking a step further and you're thinking bigger on how can we help these people create their own businesses. Right. I would imagine, I would imagine actually a lot of criminals would probably be really good entrepreneurs because they're kind of, they're hustlers. Okay. They go their own way. They don't like being told. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I'm guessing maybe they're kind of disagreeable at times with actually in negotiation and, and, Without, you know, um, speaking up for yourself probably wins really well. Oh, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so then, you know, like that was kind of my basis of where I found that. So that's the why behind it. Yeah. Yeah. Why yeah. kombucha, though? Why, I mean, do you just like it? No, so around the same time that I was getting all involved in all this entrepreneur stuff, um, I started to have liver problems. Mm. So uh, I started getting like yellowing of the eyes and the fingernails, where, um, which is like borderline jaundice. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I looked up ways to heal my liver because, well, I looked that up and the like WebMD and all these other places were like, uh, cut out all things that can harm your liver. Um, and your only other option is surgery. And I was like, surgery? I was like, oh man. I was like, that's not good. Well, then I found this other guy's website who's like, uh, he's like, I, don't, I forgot what it was, a vegan bodybuilder of some kind. But he's like, I know all the body hacks, do, 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 do. And he was like, I was having, like, I was having the same problem, same problems as, or as this guy. And so, but he said that he healed his liver using vitamin B2, which is thiamine and, or thiamine and, um, apple cider vinegar. So I was like, all right, so I'll give it a try. So then I started doing it and I started feeling better. And then like, you know, my eyes and my nails started to return, but I was still doing it and I hated it. <laughs> you know, like apple cider vinegar does not taste does not good. taste good. No, no. And um, and so I was like, you know what? There's got to be there's got to be some way to do this better. So I went and attended a vinegar making workshop at City Sprouts, which is a nonprofit in Omaha, okay. and um, they're like a community garden. So they have a lot of people who are very sustainable. They want to teach like regenerative farming and things like that. Um, so they have these other workshops for just normies like me to go. And look, so I went and she told us all about like microbiology and like, you know, kind of like why you let it inoculate, how you let it inoculate, the different types of fermentation, the aerobic, oh my gosh, the aerobic and anaerobic. Um, and, and you know, I, I was like just soaking it all in and just like really, really paying attention to everything she said. And then I was like, and then I started asking like, kind of probing questions, you know, like, so if I'm doing this and <laughs> it, like, is this going to give me this? And she was just like, she could tell that she would, that I was going to be one of those people that was actually really fascinated not just taking it at face value, sure, you know, and not just like, Ooh, look at me. I'm going to go make vinegar at my yeah. house. But I was like, yeah, like I want to make a lot of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so she kind of answered my questions. And then she would basically, after like my third question, she was like, she was like, so you can, you can go to the library and get a fermentation book and it'll tell you all about all this stuff. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Thanks. So, and I was like, all right, she doesn't want me asking any more questions. You're probably so then, the only person to ever check that book out. Uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe, I don't know. Well, I have a guy working for me now and he checked out a bunch of breaks up fermentation. Right. I stand corrected. <laughs> so he's probably the second person. Oh, that's funny. Um, too bad they don't put like your name on the inside right, yeah, of yeah. the thing so you could like pull it out and look at the names. <laughs> um, but yeah, so then, so I ended up just going home and like, um, making my own apple cider vinegar. I just tried to make my own apple cider vinegar and you know, I, it took me like, I think three weeks for the first time I did it. Cause, uh, since it has fructose in it, it takes a longer to ferment. Um, and I tasted it like every day and I was like, Oh, you know, I think this is about it. And then I started, and then I was like, and then after that first time I was like, wow, I was like, this stuff's really good. 
I was like, let me see if I can replicate it. So then I like went and bought some, you know, apple cider from the grocery store and came home. And then I was like, oh man, I was like, this stuff's even better because apple cider has more of like the pulp in there. So you get like more of the apple flavor stays in it oh, okay. than just using like apple juice. Um, and so I started doing that. And then I was like, wow, I was like, you know what? I think I could, I think this might be my product that I need for my company. Yeah. So then I start kind of trying to do it commercially and trying to figure out a way to make it cost effective because mm. apple cider is not cheap, no. you know, especially, yeah. I mean, even if you want to buy like 50 gallons of it, it's still like, you know, breaking it down to a cost point. It's not uh, like I would have to charge, you know, quite a bit of money with packaging and everything like that. Then I was like, it's like, uh, I don't think that this is really going to be something that I can do. Um, and, you know, I'm like, oh, kombucha is really starting to gain a lot more uh, likability from people. I'm starting to see it a lot more. I was like, maybe I could make kombucha. So then I looked into making kombucha, and I made my first batch of kombucha. Well, I actually was just like, I'm going to make kombucha. Mm -hmm. And I, like, went into my kitchen, and I brewed up, like, black tea and sugar and, like, and then cooled it down and then just put in my vinegar culture and was like, like I'm going to see what happens. So then I did that, and I was like, I was like, all right, I was like, this, this tastes pretty good. So then I was like, I was like, all right, you know, like what makes, what, and then I was like, and then I started thinking about it and I was like, all right, you know, like I should really look into like, what is all the different types of beverage fermentations? Sure. Cause I already knew about wine and beer from working in the restaurant industry for so long. So I started looking into all that other stuff and like all the different kinds of like scobies or pellicles that grow on top. And, um, I found that kombucha has more of the organic acids that the guy talked about in the the liver healing thing than all the other ferments. Even more beneficial for what you needed to go through. Right. Wow, okay. Yeah. So I was like I was like, "Oh, I was like, well, that's really interesting." <clears throat> but you have to use a kombucha culture. That was like another big thing that this article that I was reading talks about is like, you know, um a lot of companies don't um aren't as, str as stringent on their culture or where they got their culture from. Mm -hmm. And most of them get them from other beverages out there. Well, those other beverages, maybe they weren't using the right kind of culture. Got it. So I ordered mine specially from this gentleman in Vermont that owns a um, microbiology institute where he like <laughs> lets microbiology students that are getting like their master's in microbiology to come do their research and sure you know learn about fermentation and all this stuff and like i just uh, like whenever i think about it i imagine this uh a man like a big old man <laughs> that looks like santa claus without the santa claus outfit wearing like a grateful dead tie-dye shirt <laughs> And like a lab coat over it and like Crocs. <laughs> <laughs> it's incredibly descriptive. <laughs> uh, yeah, just is what, you know, like, or if like Jerry Garcia ended up getting old. like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's, a, that's an awesome story. I mean, you found something. Yeah. You healed your own problem. I did. You were able to find a way to, I mean, support other companies that are helping felons, but you're coming up with more ways to help. I mean, it, yeah. it sounds like a great setup all the way around. Yeah. So, so then, yeah. So then I, I was like, I was fermenting stuff and then I was like, I was like, and I want to help felons. I was like, 
I was like, fermented felon. It like just came to me. I was, I was like, fermented felon. I was like, that's it. I was like, it rolls off the tongue. Yeah. I was like, it's amazing. You it's know? the reason I bought it. When I went in, um, they didn't have the, the kombucha I was used to drinking. And I was mm-hmm. looking around at my options. And sometimes I'll look at the sugar. And I saw that. I was like, I'm going to try this one. So it, that's the name is literally why I tried it the first time. And I love it. I think I got the, the uh, was it the ginger turmeric? Is that right? Mm-hmm. I really liked it. I've tried a few. The tart cherry, another favorite. This is the first time I've had the root beer. I think this is my favorite. All of them I've tried have, have been excellent. Nice. It has very low sugar content compared to some of the other ones I've seen. Yeah. So where can people go get this product? Uh, so in Des Moines, they can get it at uh, all of the high V's. Okay. Basically like West Des Moines. So like Waukee. Um, Oh my gosh, why am I blanking? Uh, Douglas, Waukee, Jordan Creek, Jordan Creek, um, um, the West Valley. Is there Windsor Heights? Windsor Heights is okay. the other one, and then downtown. Okay. Yeah. And then um, it, you're in Omaha. Is this available in Omaha? Oh yeah, so it's available um, at basically every high V in Omaha, um, as well as uh, both Sunnyside locations. They're a little breakfast joint. Okay. One's on like 36th and Center, and the other ones. Out on 206th uh, in Old Elkhorn. And then uh, you can also get it at Gravy Train, which is inside the Inner Rail, okay. which is a food hall in Omaha. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, the Water Store, which is uh, Omaha's Water Store, which is a great place. I don't know if you ever tried Kangen Water before. No. But Kangen Water is like, um, it, it goes through electrolysis which is like a process in which an electrical current is ran through the water, breaking up the water molecules and, and all the pollutants detach from the water molecule. So like, it's a better way of filtering the water because the, because the water isn't charged anymore to hold on to the pollutants. Hmm. That's fascinating. Yeah. So it sounds like in Omaha, there's a lot of places to get it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And then in Lincoln too. So you can get it at the Lincoln Hy-Vees as well. What about, is there, is this something people can order if they're not in one of those towns or is it, you just got to go to one of those? You can order it online. Uh, you can order it off my website. I do have a shipping option. What's the website? Up. Uh, www.fermentedfelon.com. Okay. And there is a shipping option. There is. So I got a lot of family out in California and Idaho and oh yeah, I think, uh, well, my graphic designer's out in Fresno. Oh, okay. So yeah. Yeah. My, actually my sisters are just south of there in Bakersfield, but, um, I grew up in Pismo beach. Mm-hmm. Anyway, man, this has been a, a fascinating conversation. I love talking. <laughs> we got to wrap this up because Brandon's oh, yeah. got to get out of here. Oh, geez. I didn't um, even realize what time it was. Man, oh, it's been a fascinating talking. conversation. So I really appreciate you coming <laughs> yeah. on and talking with me. Yeah. Um, one of the best conversations yet. So is there anything you wanted to tell anybody before we, we f- finish this? Um, yeah. Go check out my products. Um, check out my website. Um, if you have any things going on in your state, um, that you would like to be connected with me or businesses. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. And, Where can they reach you? Uh, they can reach me. Um, you can do the contact, contact us on our website. Okay. Um, or you can reach me at my personal website or my personal email at Tony at fermented felon.com. Okay. We'll put, put these links in the show <laughs> notes cause we have those now. Um, it, does, is there an, like an Instagram or any social media pages that yeah. they follow? Uh, so I have two different Instagrams that I do for the kombucha. Okay. Since I do, my tagline is kombucha with a cause. Um, I, I'm transitioning that Instagram into being all of the, uh, Philip, Philip, oh man, that philanthropic. Did. Yeah, there you go. I can't believe I just got that, <laughs> but I did. Yeah. yeah. Um, all of that, 
um, part of the company we're going to do with our tagline Instagram, and then they can also follow at Fermented Felon. Okay, great. So. Well, we're going to connect all of that on the show notes, so if people want to check it out, I'll make yeah. sure and get all those addresses awesome. for you. But with that, we're done. I really appreciate you coming out, man. This was yeah. great. This is great. Yeah. Thank you very much for, ha- <laughs> Thank right. you for having me. You bet, man. <laughs>